1: yeah really really good points about machine learning methods so now we have been discussing the validation studies and and the features of of those and new new methods. If we quickly discuss also your validation paper you did about the phibian devices so what was the what was the goal of the validation study and the rationale behind it
0: yeah so you know, we talk about research-grade devices, there's, there's a fair bit of, of, of variability, even within the what I would consider the research-focused types of devices, some of which focus mainly on the raw data outputs, and then leave it to the researchers to derive the metrics that they want from that, whether that's energy expenditure, or activity type, whatever, and then you have to choose the models you use to derive those outcomes. Some of the research grade devices though also provide their own proprietary outputs. And so when I think about that I think about like Actigraph You have to choose models if you want things like METS or MVPA or sedentary behavior, but the step counting metric is proprietary and that just spits out, you know, or reports the number of steps, either in, you know, minute level increments or or daily levels, depending on what you want. And so that's a a value that, that's more similar to like a Fitbit, right? It just gives you the steps. You take the steps at face value. You can do the same thing with Actigraph. ActivePal, the thigh-worn device, does the same thing. You can get raw data or it will tell you how many steps you take and it has its own proprietary met, um, metabolic equivalent equation and it will tell you the postures without you having to do any kind of input. And the Fibian device is similar to that where you don't, as the user, have to make any decisions, it will report time in high-intensity activity and it will report time sitting. And so there's a nice, there's an attractive element to that where it, it removes a lot of the decision-making around, you know, what is the best model that I apply to this data? But also, because it's a research or more of a researcher focused device, you avoid some of the pitfalls of the consumer wearables in terms of like, will they update the firmware and, you know, the consumer wearables, a lot of times are, I think, focused on elements that people will find attractive, like, you know, having competitions and having like really cool apps that go along with it to make them fun to look at and stuff. And so... Uh, you know, if you're spending more time doing that, what's the quality of the data you're actually getting, you know, if if that's not your main focus versus the companies where it really is the main focus. And so I like those elements of the companies like Fibian or ActivePal or ActiveGraph that that do also provide some proprietary metrics developed by their own companies, but still retain a lot of the advantages of the research grade wearable versus a consumer wearable. So, yeah, I mean, in our lab, um, we're always looking for new devices that come out. You know, what's the newest device? Whenever devices come out, we have kind of the same set, set of things we have to learn about them before people deploy them out in the field. Are they reliable? If you look at them between, you know, between different devices, um, like within the same company. So if you take two fibians and you put them next to each other, do you get the same output? That's a really important first question we have to ask. How does a new device compare to existing devices that are supposed to do similar things? So, you know, the Fibian device is very much uh, marketed as either a thigh-worn or a pocket-worn device. Okay, well, the standard thigh-worn device in the field is ActivePal. So let's understand how this new device compares to what most people looking for a thigh-worn device would, would be more familiar with. And so when we, you know, we did this study over the last couple of years, those were our main questions were, okay, let's take this act or this Fibian device and let's compare it to itself to make sure it's sufficiently reliable. Uh, let's make sure it has a certain level of accuracy. So you have to do that, or we did it in the laboratory protocol where we had known activities that we could compare to. And then also, how does it compare to the thing or the standard in the field that most researchers would be aware of? And that's the active PAL. And so we set up our study then to really ask the same questions of both devices. And, and so by doing that, then we could understand how the Fibian stacks up. Is the reliability going to be as good as Fibian, or as, as ActivePal? Is the accuracy as good? You know, those, those types of questions. And so, again, we just, we kind of view this as a fundamental, you have to do this as devices are developed. We have to understand how and how well they work. Um, and if we don't do that, we're, we're just hoping that they work right, which I don't know, that's a, is always a safe assumption. So that was the setup. Um, we had, I think it was 19 people in the study, 19 participants who were adults, um, and we did a, both a laboratory protocol where we, again, we had known activities, so they laid down for a minute or two at a time, and we recorded the exact start and stop time so we could compare the data, the criterion data, what we knew they were doing in terms of an activity type to what was reported by the ActivePal and by the Fibian devices. Uh, we had a reliability component. So we had people wear the devices on the left leg and the right leg. You would assume that, you know, I mean, we when we walk, we take the same number of steps with your left foot as with your right foot. You know, there may be subtle differences according to preferred side of the body, but you should get pretty much the same data from each side of your body right if you didn't that would be kind of a strange it would be a same strange set of behaviors you were doing to have substantially different data from your left leg to your right leg and so we did a reliability analysis comparing left and right leg um, and then we did that in a free living setting and then we compared the devices to each other so what is it you know if we take let's just isolate the left leg if you compare the active pal worn on the left leg how does it compare to the fibian worn on the left leg And so we were able to look at uh, uh, between devices as well as within devices and, and how well they captured the metrics that they, um, that they were looking to to capture. So that was the, that was the setup of our study.
1: Yeah. Interesting and good, good setup. So how, how were the, how were the results?
0: Yeah. So, um, so I think it's important to, to, to consider, you know, when you have proprietary metrics, like Fibian does, like ActivePal does, for, let's say, postures or activity types that people are doing, or that are reported, uh, you can only call, you know, you can only measure those activities then. So, for example, one metric that the Fibian does not, or did not have, at least at the time we validated it, was a lying down metric. So, when people are lying down, it's reported as sitting because of the angle of the thigh, the, you know, minimal movement. And so, you know, we, when we did our validation, we had them lie down and we said, okay, well, obviously the Fibian can't tell you lying down. It's not one of the reported metrics, but what it should report is sitting. If it reports it as sitting, we at least have confidence that it's, you know, when people lay down in the field, it would be captured as a sedentary metric, which is what lying down is too. Right. And so we, we had to do some, I guess, pre-thinking about that. Right. Or if we have somebody do, oh, I don't know, let's see what activities do we have. We had them do jogging. I can't remember if jogging is reported or if it's just high intensity activity by the Fib- Fibian. And so, you know, okay, it doesn't report jogging as a metric, but does it report, would it capture jogging as high intensity activity? And if it does, we consider that, you know, good enough given the constraints of the uh, the variables that it reports. So th- those types of things. So you got to have a good understanding of what the device does, uh, does report, and then how the activities you test should be reported. By that we found pretty good accuracy uh, for the most part with the fibian device i believe the times the fibian device reported um i misreported were lying on your side so if you were laying down but on your left side or your right side that wasn't always reported as sitting uh, which I, i'd have to go back and look to see what it was reported as instead um but again it was that was a a a case in which we seemed to find some errors um the other place that we would find but this would not be surprising based on the movement sometimes so cycling is a distinct activity recognized by fibian and so is walking and so and walking i believe is split into slow and fast walking within the fibian software and so there were cases in which slow walking was confused as fast walking or fast walking confused as slow walking There was also occasional cases where walking was confused as cycling or vice versa. So you know, you think about the movement of the leg, the fact that that's a consistent ambulatory-looking pattern. It's not necessarily surprising that those metrics were sometimes um, mis, uh, I I guess, misidentified. The other challenge, though, with the walking metrics is, I'm guessing, there's some kind of a cadence-based threshold you know if you're above 100 steps per minute it's fast walking if you're below it's slow or you know whatever that threshold would be well different people walk at the same speed using different cadences and so if we use a three mile an hour threshold that might be moderate that might be high intensity for me and low intensity for someone else based on the fact that i have a shorter stride length than somebody else does and so anytime you do a validation like that you have to kind of be aware of some of those um potential limitations with the activities you select are. So, again, it's not necessarily that the Fibian's wrong. It's just, it is it is recognizing something different than what we maybe intended for it to try to recognize. And so, um, again, and then you have to think about, well, what does that mean, right? Am I, if, from, a, from a, a, um, a health standpoint, do I consider fast walking to be meeting recommendations and slow walking not to be? And if so then that differentiation matters. But if I'm really just interested in how much time are you active in the day versus how much time are you sedentary in the day, it doesn't matter whether the Fibian reports walking is slow or fast walking. Both of them are active time, and so you're not concerned about that differentiation. You know, Frankly, for me, if fast walking was misidentified as cycling or vice versa, I probably wouldn't care because both of those are health-promoting activities. They'd contribute to guidelines. It's better than sitting on a bus or driving a car, you know, because it's active transport versus passive or sedentary transport. And so for me, that would be a less consider, uh, a less concerning misrepresentation of the activity versus if, you know, they're capturing sedentary metrics as movement or something like that. That's obviously a bigger concern. So, um, you know, we report accuracy statistics in the paper, and it does pretty well. It's, it's easily within the 80s, uh, 80 to 90 percent for correctly identifying activities. I think the context, though, is it, when it's misreported, how big of a deal is it that it misreported? And in some cases it is a big deal. And in some cases, again, I would argue that, that it probably doesn't matter from a behavioral or, a, a, you know, what we would, how we would interpret someone's data if they're cycling versus walking. Those are both still good activities to do right and, and so um that was our accuracy uh findings from the paper in terms of reliability when you looked at the uh, left leg versus the right leg data the reliability was almost the same for the fibian device as it was for the active so in terms of trying to understand you know change over time You know, so like if we had people doing pre and post intervention uh, or summer versus winter to look at how season affects physical activity levels, the Fibian appeared to us to be as good a device as the ActiveVal at trying to recognize those, you know, potential change over time metrics. And so that was a positive finding for us. You know, this it's working equivalently well to existing devices in the field. And then the third big analysis we did was um, we tried to compare metrics from the active pal to the fibian itself which was difficult because they don't capture the same outputs you know so ActivePal measures uh they have a sedentary metric and fibian doesn't so we had to take the active pal sedentary data plus the sitting data and we anticipated okay well that would be the combined sedentary metric that would then be the closest we can get to fibian right? Um, Active Pal has two different types of sitting. They have primaries or of lying down. They have primary and secondary lying down. So primary lying down is thought to be um, to correspond to sleep time. So it's lying down at night for extended periods of time versus secondary lying is more meant to capture daytime lying down. So maybe it's a nap or maybe it's just you're laying on the couch watching TV or whatever, but it double. You have to be careful about how you add them together so they don't get double counted. So there's all these little you know, nuances when you're doing the data. And so we tried it all different kinds of ways um, to see if we could get any comparability between the two devices. The end of the story was that the, the two devices were not comparable to each other. So the outputs reported from the Fibian were not equivalent to the outputs reported from the ActivePal. That is not surprising. It's different companies. It's different, you know, again, different goals for, for what outputs. Um, And it's totally consistent if you were to compare ActivePAL to ActiveGraph or to GeneActive or to Activity. It's pretty unlikely that manufacturer-specific outputs of energy expenditure or activity type would be equivalent between device brands. And so that was entirely expected, I guess I would say. Um, And really what that means is that for, you know, To give yourself best confidence in the data, it's probably best to use the same brand of device if you're looking, again, at change over time or comparing groups or those types of things.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity, and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy to understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. Yeah, so again, like we discussed in the first part about complexities of, of validations that you have different variables if you have primary lying down secondary and then sedentary behavior how do you how do you compare and you you've done good work of really looking looking those those different ones
0: and that's part of what makes this stuff fun right on the surface validation studies can seem very routine and very boring um, and it's like, oh, yeah, of course, you just pick up a device, you see what metrics it outputs, you find a criterion, um, or, you know, a true measure of those things, and then you set up the study. And, and so that gets boring if you're just doing the exact same protocol, you know, with different devices over time. But each device has its own nuances, and you can explore ways of trying to see if you can get better uh, interpretation of outputs and, and those kinds of things. So I, I really enjoy that element of the, val- the validation studies. That's what keeps them fun. Yeah, and you
1: mentioned that the cycling and walking can be uh, mixed mixed together. Yeah, it's quite quite challenging, especially if you you can cycle also standing sometimes. Especially in the free living normal life, it's very difficult to distinguish it from the from the walking. And especially if you stop in the traffic lights and and so on. So it's maybe with the ergometer with the certain height and certain rhythm, it's you you can distinguish, but yeah free living it gets much more more complicated so what would you say that were the the main conclusions maybe the main findings again like the the main the very main point of the of the results
0: from the Fibian uh, Actifau comparison paper, yeah. So uh, for most of the reported metrics, the Fibian device seemed to have pretty high accuracy in a laboratory setting. So you know, measuring things like sitting, standing, walking, cycling behavior, the, the device was was generally accurate at at recognizing that those activities that happened. When you get into the free living setting, the um, there's not perfect reliability. There never is. Um, so it was helpful to have a comparison. We found that for the metrics that were reported by the Fibian device, um, they were about as reliable as the ActivePAL device. So just for example, if we find that um, slow walking time was three percent different between the Fibian and the Active, or the, the Fibian on the left leg and the Fibian on the right leg we would expect to see about a 3% difference in walking time from the ActivePal as well. So again, are they perfect? No, but they're pretty close and they're as close, the Fibian was as close to each other as the ActivePal was to each other when you compared them across legs. And then the third conclusion was um, don't use different brands of device when trying to compare data. So when we looked at outcomes like stepping time, um, high intensity time, even non-wear time, was not the same t- between device brands. Mm.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, very, very nice and nicely done study. Um, maybe we start to wrap up. And and you mentioned that from our first recording, you get the collaboration. So yeah, please feel free to advertise what kind of collaborators you are looking, what kind of data you would like to see. Free, free word.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll give a couple thoughts on this. One of them is that. Um, you know, in my time being in this field, it especially if you want to do more than just use the simple device outputs that come from devices. You one of the, one uh, one way you can do that is to learn it yourself as the researcher, as the end user, how to do some basic coding or how to even just set up some of the processes to make the the analysis faster. I mean, even if you're getting just steps output from an actigraph device. That can still be pretty time intensive if you have large sample sizes and maybe you're not too savvy with Excel to, you know, find ways to do automatic calculations of stuff. So you can either learn it yourself or I guess I think about myself like a statistician does, you know, like could I learn to go and do logistic regression or multivariate analyses or some of those things probably with enough time and effort Or I could go find somebody who's a noted expert in those fields and ask for collaboration, which saves me a ton of time. It ensures the data is being handled the most appropriate way. And I think it's better to work together than in isolation. New people have new ideas, insights, and perspectives. And so you're almost always better off in a team than you are on your own. And so from a physical activity measurement side, I kind of view myself that same way where, you know, I I have... Uh, and, And fortunately, the last few years, I've been able to collaborate with a ton of different organizations and groups about things I don't know anything about, you know, I don't know I know hardly anything about rheumatoid arthritis or other rheumatic conditions, but I'm collaborating on a study because they need to measure physical activity in that population. And so I've been able to come in and and give some insights about how we do this. And okay, you know, you're telling me that this specific population has these movement limitations, maybe with how fast they move or the types of movements they do. So now I can give you some better insights on what type of device will best capture those activities in that population. And here's how we analyze the data. And so, you know, Again, it takes some of the burden off the researchers who are subject matter experts because they can focus on that and then they can farm out or consult out the elements that i can you know be a better value on and so um yeah you know anybody considering using device-based measures of physical activity or sedentary behavior um you know that's i've been doing this for 11 years now and so i I love doing this stuff i like to think that i've gotten pretty good at it over time and if it's an area that i don't know about i also know a lot of other people in the field who could potentially be collaborators or consultants on projects and so um you know, love to love the opportunity to talk to different groups about what they're doing and what they're trying to measure and you know what the considerations would look like as people are trying to are, are trying to conduct their studies. Yeah. So that's one, you know, that's one thing I just wanted to say. Um and you know again, love love doing collaborations. The other one, because so that's the you know, the physical activity measurement field. Something I've done the last couple of years, um, partly because of interest of the students I have at my institution, is I've worked pretty far outside the physical activity measurement realm the last maybe three or four years and started doing um, work in uh, – uh ergogenic aids so in trying to enhance sport performance which has been a really fun new area it's been humbling because i go from feeling like i know most of what's going on in the activity wearable field to uh knowing virtually nothing about uh, you know some of these these studies i've been working on one of the things i've noticed though you know being a measure i I guess i call myself a measurement researcher so generally measure physical activity but when we get into some of these other fields and we're trying to measure you know, uh, power outputs in these athletes, or you're trying to measure, I mean, whatever these variables are, so many of the principles I've learned in physical activity measurement about thinking about test reliability, or test validity, or, you know, has this test actually been done in this population? And is this appropriate thing? So many of those skills have actually translated over into these other fields. And so I end up doing a lot of similar studies in a very different type of field, because you notice these big gaps that exist. And so, you know, I've, I've, um, I've kind of realized how much how beneficial it, can be had to, uh, beneficial it can be to have an outside perspective in a field and, and realize that so many different fields of research grapple with the same challenges. And so getting sometimes out of your narrow box of expertise and, and looking at different areas, you can, you can both contribute a lot to those because you bring a unique perspective, but you can also learn a lot that you can bring back to your home field as well. I mean, it's this is definitely not a one-way street. I think that physical activity researchers have learned a lot from fields like engineering, um, and, and we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel in each one of these research fields. You know, what can we learn about uh, from another field that's maybe more developed than ours, some of the challenges they face, some of the conventions they have for collecting or analyzing their data, and what can we bring over to our field? And then conversely, what can we contribute to our field that may... That may help others and so um i've benefited a lot from moving out of my main area and and getting into a new area and i would i guess i would encourage other uh, other people to try to do the same because i think there's a lot of a lot of value in that
1: yeah that's that's good so anyone if you have device-based physical activity data and maybe need help with the data analysis and make it Faster and and better. Don't hesitate to be in contact with Alex. How how do people contact you?
0: Yeah, I can uh, I can I can share my email address with you, Ali. Phone number, any of those things. Um, I am on Twitter. I I don't. I mean, I, that would I would probably reply eventually <laughs> if people try to reach out something like that. So uh, yeah, probably institutional email or phone number, and uh, we can make sure that that gets in yeah it gets in the show notes Um, but it's my last name m-o-n-t-o-y-e-a-h at elma.edu is uh, his email address yeah
1: perfect thank you this was a
0: pleasure once again to chat with you thank you ali i appreciate the opportunity it's always good to talk to you as well
1: thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research through podcast if you like the show